Where are we learning teaching nurses how to say, that's not safe care, you need to let us know. And let us know that if we approach you, our jobs aren't on the line. None of that is there. And yet that is our code of ethics to advocate for the patient. You're listening to Nurses on Fire, the podcast for nurses by nurses aspiring to financial independence. I'm your host, Nasima McElroy of Financially Intentional. Let's spark some flames, y'all. Financially Intentional is having a baby, y'all, in the form of a book. (laughs) Yes, I wrote a book. Smart Money, the personal finance plan to crush debt is a comprehensive step-by-step plan to help you jumpstart your financial health and wealth journey. Whether you're just getting started and need some direction, or you've made some wrong turns along the way and need help getting and staying on track, this book is a must-have in your financial planning arsenal. Check out the links in the episode's homepage to order the book. Welcome to episode 93 of the Nurses on Fire podcast. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, welcome and cheers to Igniting Your Fire. I'd be eternally grateful if you took a moment to subscribe, leave a review, and share with other nurses that you know could benefit. Now, Angel Salucci is a woman on a mission. She has spent over 40 years working in the healthcare system, having started out as a candy striper and eventually going on to become a family nurse practitioner. In 2015, she founded Overbrook Consultants, a fraud investigation company to insist insurance carriers with reviewing medical bills for evidence of erroneous charges and or blatant fraud. When data revealed that roughly nine out of 10 medical bills she and her team reviewed contained errors, Angel knew that she had a personal and ethical responsibility to share the information with the general public. Her goal is now to leverage that knowledge and experience along with her fraud investigation skills to educate, equip, and empower patients to become champions of their wellness journey. Episode 93 of the Nurses on Fire podcast. This nurse is on a mission to make a difference in the world. All right, Nurses on Fire. I'm super excited to have Angel Salucci joining us. And Angel has a consulting practice called Oberbrook Consultants. And she is a nurse, a nurse practitioner, and just has so much wisdom to share with us. So welcome, Angel. Thank you. Thank you, Nasima. I am so excited. Very excited, especially to talk to a fellow nurse. Like, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> I know you probably don't talk to too many nurses now, but... <laughs> No, no. So this is lovely. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. But let's start with your nursing origin story. How did you become a nurse? Well, I don't remember ever wanting to be anything but a nurse. I used to kid around because now my hair is white, but my hair used to be black. And I used to kid around and say, I knew I looked good in white. That's why I became a nurse. Because when I graduated nursing school, we actually had the white cap ceremony and we had to wear the white clinic shoes, the white 
pantyhose and I would iron my uniform, starch it. Oh yeah. It was, I don't even know that I wore scrubs until recently, but anyway, I used to say, oh, I knew I looked good in white and I love the smell of rubbing alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love hospitals. Like they just smell nice. So yeah, I started out as a candy striper. I always have to say that slowly because one letter and it's a whole different profession than it's the candy stripper. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I try to say that slowly. Yeah. I started that when I was 13 and I just kind of never left it. And even before nursing, I was a phlebotomist. You know, I used to say I could get blood from a stone, like everything nursing I love. I think it's the greatest profession ever. I'm not practicing anymore. I left practice back in 15 to do my nursepreneurial journey, but my daughter is a nurse anesthetist. And so now I am living vicariously through her. So I'm like, send me pictures. I want to know, what are you seeing? Did you see any brains today? Like, oh man, I love that stuff. Yes. I just love the whole patient journey. Anyway, I get very excited about nursing. <laughs> <laughs> so how long did you work as a nurse before you became a nurse practitioner? Well, I did it. I always say I did it ask backwards. I had my children first. So, and then I went to school. So I became a registered nurse in 1994, 94, 96. So I was probably 30. I think I was 32, 33 when I graduated. And then I, when I first started out, I was med surge for a week. <laughs> But my goal was to get to the ER. So then I went right to the ER. I did that for years. Then I became a hospice nurse, which I loved that. Then I went on to pursue my nurse practitioner, family nurse practitioner. And I then was doing, I was running the health center, the clinic at a university in Pennsylvania. So ask me anything about an STD and I could tell you, <laughs> that's all we did was STDs. <laughs> They share, at least that's good, right? But I did that and I became an NP in 2007. I started that path for education. Ideally, I was going to go on for my PhD. I was just, I don't know, I was kind of the carrot chaser, chasing degrees. And I wanted my PhD to be in nursing because just a very few, I think it's like less than 1% of nurses get a PhD in nursing. I thought that I was going to do that. And my mentor, of course, had one. So she was pushing me. And then two years into it. And I'm like, yeah, this isn't my path at all. And in fact, to be honest, Nasima, I didn't even enjoy being a nurse practitioner. I am a nurse and I loved being a nurse. I didn't like being on the other side. I think they're amazing nurse practitioners, what they do. But to me, that model just wasn't me. You know, like I said, I'm a ER nurse or a hospice nurse. And my son used to say, you know, somebody would say, oh, where's your mom working today? Well, today she's helping people live. You know, one day maybe she's helping people die. Like I just went back and forth, but I'm more of a caretaker. Like that was just my role. So I think that's why it was easy to give up practice because it just wasn't in my heart. Yeah. So actually, I, I don't know if I told you this, but I'm also an FMP that never practiced. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So I went all the way through when I did my nursing, I was in an accelerated nursing program. So then to get my nursing degree, I actually had to get my master's, which because I got accepted into the MP program in nursing school. So anyway, I finished. I hated the program. I, <laughs> I hated my clinicals, but I was an L&D nurse the whole time and I was loving it. And I'm like, so you mean to tell me that I'm going to have to like make less money than I make now? 
to do something that I really don't enjoy. No, thank you. Thank you for the degree, but I'm going to stay working as a labor and delivery nurse. And I've had that degree for almost 10 years. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you don't realize it. And you think, I think a lot of people are pushing nurses to go on for those higher degrees, but as if being a nurse isn't enough. Like, come on now. I say all the time, it's the greatest profession in the world. And yeah, no, I did not know we had that in common. I love that. I love that. Yeah, how about pharmacology? When I had that, I'm like, yeah, screw this. I don't want to prescribe. I don't want to figure out which antibiotic. I just want to take care of you. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I didn't enjoy the clinic. I like the hospital. I like my babies. I like my laboring moms. It's just nothing like it. And I'm just not ready to give that up. I'll probably do it for a very long time. But yeah, I, I was just like, when I was in the clinic managing like diabetes and high blood pressure, and I was just like, oh, I don't want to be on this side. Like, I did not get into nursing for this. <laughs> no. Exactly. And it's good that you recognize that. Great that you have the degree, but it's good that you recognize that. But now you're a consultant. Can you talk to us about your consulting practice that you started, your nursepreneur practice? <laughs> a nursepreneur. So I relocated from Philadelphia to Nashville in 2015, and I knew I wanted to do something different. And I was introduced to a woman who was also a registered nurse who had a consulting company and she investigated for medical fraud and abuse, billing fraud and overtreatment, unnecessary treatment, all that kind of stuff. She did it for the insurance carriers. Nasima, my eyes were like, wait, what? There's fraud? What? Who's doing fraud? There's overtreatment? Who would do that? Like, I had no idea until five years ago that this stuff was going on. And so I started working with her and she was getting ready to retire. And she wanted to pass her company on to, because people wanted to buy her company, insurance carriers wanted to buy her company, but she wanted to pass it on to another nurse. And so that's where I came in. I renamed it to Overbrook Consultants. And the name Overbrook Consultants, that came to me because that is actually the name of the neighborhood in Philadelphia that I grew up in, in West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground. Born and raised. <laughs> yes. Love it. <laughs> yes. That Will Smith grew up behind me, one street behind me. So he has Overbrook Entertainment and I have Overbrook Medical Legal Consultants. So I started doing that because I thought, okay, there's bad people out there. There's Nasima, there's actually organized crime rings, straw clinics, they call them, where they have fake clinics. They're luring people in for their insurance cards, treating them, billing the insurance carriers. And we, the taxpayers, are paying for them. And as soon as the feds are onto them, they disappear. That's why they're called straw clinics. We have organized crime rings coming out of, my boyfriend always says, don't name countries, they'll come after you. <laughs> Let's just say other countries. <laughs> yeah, crime rings. We have, I call them the ethically challenged of our society, but we have ambulance companies who are committing billing fraud, who if you had BLS transport, these are all nurses on your show. So if you had BLS transport, they'll bill you for ALS transport. We have providers doing this. We have um, hospitals raising their prices by 400 to 500%. What about those helicopter companies that like charge you a million dollars and they have like, no, it's no recourse. It's just like, that's what it is. No regulations and no regulations for hospitals either. 
for what hospitals can charge. Each house, if you have four hospitals on four different corners, they could each charge whatever they want, which is why you can get a shoulder x-ray for $100 here, $1,000 here, or $10,000 there. People don't know that, nor do they know they can shop around. So I felt that I was helping, because there's good and bad everybody. There's good and bad police, good and bad teachers, good and bad priests. There's good and bad providers. There's good and bad hospitals, good and bad ambulance. I don't want people to be afraid of their providers. I am pro-provider and pro-nurses, but I'm against anybody who makes it more difficult for those who are trying to do good. So I felt like I was really, really helping by helping these insurance carriers and helping them to read the medical bills. We looked at the bills and all that kind of stuff for them and also determined whether or not treatment was medically necessary. I had a staff of, you know, medical providers, nurse practitioners that would read them with me. But then I think it was about two years ago. I'm like, it seems like we're saving them a lot of money. So I ran the numbers, Nasima. Over the course of the years that the company has been around, we've saved insurance carriers over $30 million dollars. Wow. Just your little, <laughs> not little, but I'm just saying like in the scope of things. <laughs> it's little. I'm in a spare bedroom in my house. <laughs> like everything is digital that we do. Yes. Over $30 million. So then I'm like, wait a minute. We save them all this money. We are paying higher premiums. We are paying more out-of-pocket expenses. We're paying more for pharmaceuticals, things that haven't even changed in decades like insulin. We're doing all of that. And then I realized there are a lot of people, hospital CEOs, pharmaceutical CEOs, who are making a lot of money on the backs of the people that the system was designed to serve and putting to work unbelievable hours. Our nurses, our providers, our providers now have eight minutes to spend with a patient. Our nurses have to do mandatory overtime. All that stuff used to piss me off when I would have to do mandatory overtime. I want to say, excuse me, Mr. CEO, have you ever even gotten your suit dirty? Have you ever done mandatory overtime? No, but you make $24 million a year and I make 24 bucks an hour. So that's when I'm telling you, Nasima, the Philly and me came out and I was mad. And I'm like, this ain't happening no more. And I'm sorry, I kind of got ahead of myself. Why I named it Overbrook is because that's where in that neighborhood, I learned that we're supposed to watch out for each other. We're supposed to share our information with each other. We're supposed to have each other's backs. So when I saw all this, I'm like, nope, no more. I need to tell as many people as possible that this is going on. And I teach people how to do what we do, opening the kimono wide open. Oh, and I don't even know if I told you this because I told you about how much money we save them. I also looked at all the medical records that we review because we have it all in a database. Thousands, thousands of records. Nine out of 10 of the records we reviewed contained errors. Errors, fraud and or abuse blatant. And I'm like, oh my, and the same four or five things kept appearing all the time, you know, like double billing, billing for services not delivered. And, you know, as nurses on the other side, when I was a nurse, especially in the ER, you heard a trauma coming in, you would crack open a tray. And then if you didn't use it, the patient still use it. You still bill the patient. Well, that's not right. And even now I'm thinking to myself, little things, you know, like, gosh, I remember one patient I had, which I love doing IVs. I think it took me three or four tries. Well, I build them through, you know, you do the chart. I marked that I used four IVs, you know, the starters, the needle. I can't remember the name of it right now. Why should that patient have to pay that bill for my inability to start the IV? So all I'm telling you, my world like blew up. Like, oh my gosh, I remember doing that. I remember doing that. So 
that's why I want to talk with the nurses here because A, I want to empower them when they're on the other side of it as a patient and also realize that you as a nurse has probably more power than anybody else in the system to make a difference yes. big time. So yes, we don't realize how powerful we are. We are super powerful. But I mean, even just like what you said about starting the IV, I mean, like been there. I mean, like, of course, labor and delivery, everybody has an IV. And that's the same thing. Like, you know, you don't get that IV, you charge for it. You charge for everything. And even like labor, you know, you might open a kid and might not use it. Like you might open a vag, like you're going to do a vaginal delivery or ended up having a C-section. Or sometimes we open up for an emergency C-section and we don't have a C-section. So that's like $20,000 in instruments, you know? So it's just, yeah, it's like all the time. And even when it comes time to documenting it, because that's one of the things we saw a lot was billing for services not delivered. And the classic example is because this, you know, you can change one. I don't know if charting now is the same, but you change the code, the CPT code for one thing, and it's a whole different thing. And even numbers wise, like quantity, we reviewed medical records for a gentleman. I knew what he had. To, he had a cardiac cath. Oh, this EMA, this story. He had a cardiac cath put in. Normally that costs $35,000, $40,000. But because he has Medicare, guess how much this surgery center billed Medicare? Not him, billed Medicare. Which who pays who's $140,000? We are Medicare. So if we don't like our potholes, if we don't like our schools, if we want art in the school, well, that's where all that money comes from. And you've got criminals out there taking this up. So anyway, when I was reviewing his medical records, I called him because I saw something fishy and he was a friend of mine. So I said, hey, how many IVs did you have? Because it was a same day procedure and I used to do PACU. He said, I had one. Why? It's okay. Because they billed you for six. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So just... Could it be the nurse was rushed? Don't know. Could it be the coding person? Don't know. We don't know how it happens. But it happened. But I think I share with you this example too. Like during labor, we have to bill, right? Labor nurses have to bill. So we go in and we're pushing with a patient for six hours where then we end up in an emergency C-section. And then we have to finally sit down and do our charting after we've been running around. And then it's just like, you don't remember everything that you do. And so what usually happens is, is that we hit a button for like a bundle, a charge bundle and just everything that, I mean, like we have to cover our bases. And then they tell you if you have an IV and that patient might be on just regular maintenance IV fluids with no medications on it. If they have any kind of medication added to it, then you have to upcharge them because now that IV fluid is more, you know what I'm saying? So you have to like, think about these things like as a nurse and it's just like kind of daunting. Cause first of all, I don't think that's really our job. Number one, number two, I feel like we have all these systems, healthcare systems, everything has to be scanned in. Like how come that, I mean, I feel like that would cut, cut down on a lot of fraud and I feel bad because I'm inadvertently part of the problem. So I see how medical bills are 
erroneously charged. I mean, and like before I was a nurse, I was actually on the other side when I was, I have a master's in healthcare administration before I was a nurse. And so I used to be, one of my roles was over member services. And so people would come all the time to dispute their bills and we would look at it and be like, okay, like we sit in a committee and like look at them. And then 9.9 times out of 10, we would either completely forgive them or like, almost completely forgive them or like come up with like a really, really affordable payment plan around it. But it was because like a lot of times it was, they were paying for stuff that either was excessive or, (laughs) you know, it was just like, or we knew that they couldn't afford it. And on the other side, what a lot of people don't know, and I'm sure you're going to talk about this is that a lot of hospitals have to have a certain amount of charity care too. And so if they write off a lot of this medical debt, if you just ask for it. Yes. And people don't know. And that's why also as nurses, when you're on the other end of that, realize that like as nurses, I didn't even know that. And, you know, I just want to touch on the fact that you said as nurses, you're contributing to the problem, but in my head, nurses are overworked. They're exhausted. Your patient level, like how many patients do y'all have now? You know, it's like, I mean, it's different than when I lived. When I was working nursing, you said about there's the system I left before Epics or whatever that's called came in. I remember pulling stickers off bags and putting them all over my scrubs. <laughs> yes. Yes. We still have the stickers. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing like all that stuff. Like you said, you could be on a double. You're working your ass off. And then now I have to sit down and chart and do all of this when you created this electronic health record that's supposed to make our job easier and it doesn't. So I I don't really think nurses are anywhere to blame, but again, I'm (laughs) pro-nurse. So I just think that the system is not designed to support the people who are supporting the system, you know, and that's not fair. So... So, so with your consulting firm, have you shifted from helping insurers to now helping consumers with their medical bills? Heck yes. Yes. That's what I do. So I was, and this is, I think the nurse in me, I was always, so they say B to B, your business to business, or then you switch to B to C, which is business to consumer. I say I'm H to H. And I think that's the nurse. I do human to human. Like that's what we're supposed to be, you know? And nursing is the most trusted profession. So we have more power, like I said before, to change and make an impact on the system. And with regards to patients, I know who has time for patient education. Remember the care plans where you have to do patient education and all that kind of stuff? I know, (laughs) right? But an, an educated patient is an empowered patient. And that's what I teach people is that how to have a more collaborative relationship with your provider. And that starts by just asking lots of questions in a very succinct way, because they only have eight minutes with you. And also it's not a form of questioning the doctor or nurse practitioner. It's a matter of asking, hey, what's that for? That medicine, that IV is going in your body. I want to know what it is. So nurses can step into that role and do, even when you're checking vitals, I just want to let you know why I'm checking this because blah, 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 or I'm starting an IV. I'm just going to let you know why I'm doing this this way and da, da, da. It just makes the patient also feel like they're a part of it. They're not just a number. They're not just a body. I tell people your autonomy is more important than your anatomy. You want to be like, nobody is smarter. Nobody knows more about your body than you do. 
It doesn't matter how many degrees I have. I know my body. I may not be able to tell you what's wrong, but yeah, like we have just so much more power. And patients need to know that they have more power than they realize and they need to use their voice. And I think once nurses realize the system would crumble without us, like realize that guys, the system would crumble without us. So why is it? I don't know if it's a woman thing for me personally or a nurse. We don't know how to ask for our worth. We don't know how to say no. That's not safe practice. We don't know how to do that. And then if we do, we have other people telling us, no, that is what you have to do. Oh, no, you do have to do what I tell you. Well, why? You have two little girls. Would you want to raise your daughters to live in a world like that? No. So let me tell you, my daughter, I told you she's a CRNA. Oh, she's mouthy. She doesn't take crap from anybody. She had a surgeon, which we know they all have God complexes. She had a surgeon yell at her during a case one time. She pulled him outside and said, don't ever talk to me like that again. I am a human being. You can't talk to me like that. And he was like, now he's like a puppy dog with her. He's like, oh, nobody ever called me out. Exactly. <laughs> you have to call these people out. Listen, I guess I was raised kind of like you. <laughs> and so I was not raised to be intimidated by a hierarchy or structure, that kind of like formal structure that, doc, you know, that the medical institution is set up like, like the military, like, so you have your orders and all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't care. You're the doctor. Like, <laughs> okay, we're on the same page. Like we have the same goal. You can't do your job without me. So I'm not about to bow down to you because I know what's going on here more than you. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I need. Okay. So I'm a little bit, <laughs> I'm a little bit different, but that's the thing. Like nurses need to speak up. And, and what I've noticed is, is that the fear around not speaking up is often tied to the fear of losing their job and the, their financial security. It's not about the job. It's that we, as nurses, a lot of us are the breadwinners of our, if not just our immediate family of our whole family, like everybody leans on us. And if we speak up, that would take out our whole family, possibly if we lost our job. And so people are afraid to do that. And don't you think they know that and they play on that? Oh, yes. And that's what my whole platform is about. It's getting yourself empowered and being in a financial position so that doesn't happen because that's what happened to me. And luckily it happened during a time where I could walk away from a position. So I had transferred to a, a new hospital and I was seeing some things where, you know, like in America, the black maternal morbidity and mortality rates are crazy. And I was seeing some things where patients weren't being heard. I, I just saw some like really, really terrible things. Basically, it's near misses and sentinel events that could have been avoided by just listening to these patients, like back to back, like every week. And I spoke up on it. And for the first time, like in my whole nursing career, I always offer suggestions. I'm not just like, oh, this is not a safe place to work. I'm like, these things probably need to happen. And then like, usually like when I do that, like those things happen, like they usually like start the process of changing. And this time I talked to, actually, I talked to the chief. I went to the chief and I was just like, yeah, like, I think we need more drills, more C-section drills. We need to know how to properly take care of patients in an emergency because we only have this amount of time. And then she was just like, no, I just think it's your clinical skills. 
yeah, yeah. And I was just like, okay, so that's okay. So I already knew what time it was. And I knew only somebody would only say something like that if the system had empowered them to say something like that. So I knew that it was bigger than just her. And so like the way that I had to deal with it was bigger than just her. So I ended up like filing all these complaints. I ended up leaving there. Well, stop going. Well, I, let's say I stopped going to work, <laughs> which caused them to fire me. But in the end, I was able to speak up for what was right for the patients, get some changes in place. But I wasn't afraid to speak up because I knew I could walk away from that position. You had the financial ability to do that, you're saying? Yes, yeah. yes. Because I, it was like right after I had paid off all my debt. And I, I mean, we, labor and delivery nurses can work anywhere. I had another job though. But I'm just like, but I didn't need to be there. And a lot of people need those jobs, need that overtime, need that. They don't say the things that can keep the patient safe. And I just feel like we, like you said, we have so much power to change things, but we, we can't be afraid to speak up, whether it's because of financial constraints or because you're just intimidated by the system and the structure of, you know, the institution that you work in. And it shouldn't be like that. Let's talk about smart money. This is something that I've been cooking up for over a year now, and I am so excited to finally get to share it with you guys. I've taken everything I've learned over the last few years from going broke, paying off a million dollars in debt to garnering a six figure net worth and compiled it into a nine step actionable plan that anyone can implement to gain financial freedom. This book includes a nine-step action plan for building a strong foundation and mapping out your financial path. Beginner-friendly tools such as budget worksheets and checklists for each stage of the financial planning journey. And finance hacks that you can use to find the best accounts, tackle identity theft, avoid late fees, and invest responsibly in hella other valuable tips. I have poured my heart and soul in this book and it'll be available for you on March 16th. But guess what? You can go ahead and pre-order it now to ensure you get it as soon as possible. No. And isn't that part, I mean, it's been so long since I read our nursing code of ethics, but isn't that one of the things about we're supposed to be advocates for patients? But think about it as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, you know, you said that your supervisor was empowered from up above to think that way. Who and how many CEU classes have you taken? How many hospital mandatory classes have you taken? Have you ever taken one? And this just dawned on to me. Have you ever taken one where they teach nurses how to be empowered? No, that just dawned on to me. We teaching our nurses how to say to my daughter's example, a surgeon, don't talk to me like that. Where are we learning teaching nurses how to say that's not safe care? You need to let us know and let us know that if we approach you, our jobs aren't on the line. None of that is there. And yet that is our code of ethics to advocate for the patient. The same way the providers take the Hippocratic oath to do no harm, 
They're doing medically unnecessary treatment for the mighty dollar to make money or because they're incentivized by the higher ups. So why are these higher ups the ones who determine how much time physicians and NPs spend with patients, how much they bill, how much nurses have to work? how they're empowering their little other administration people. I don't want to knock administration people, but you got to look down at the people who are supporting the system. Like, let's make sure your people are happy. I mean, that would be an amazing hospital. So maybe we should start our own hospital system. You know what? <laughs> We'd have the best nurses. <laughs> you know what? We would have the best nurses, the best care, the efficiency. Listen, if I'm entering all this stuff into this computer, you better run a report on the back end. OK, I mean, like literally, why am I still filling out a paper delivery log when I just logged in all your information to the second into this computer? Like I'm going to need us to catch up to technology. OK, if my two year old knows how to scroll through my phone and go on YouTube, then I think. <laughs> <laughs> that the dang technology in hospitals can be updated so that we get accurate, precise information, which makes us more efficient, which makes things more cost effective in the long term. I don't think they want that, Nasima. And, you know, I don't think they want it because now I live in Nashville, Tennessee, which I think I mentioned to you is considered like the healthcare capital of our country because like 70 or 80 percent of the hospitals in our country are based here. HCA, CHS, all that. But I see all these other tech startups. It seems like everybody's creating these digital platforms, these digital things for people, but it's just a profit from them. Everybody's trying to get a piece of the pie. We're the ones making the pie, <laughs> you know? And you're right with the whole charting and documenting, and they don't care. You better run a report on the back end. And Seema, that was another one of my pivotal decisions with the insurance carriers because I called our, we have a nurse contact at these carriers' offices. And I said, hey, so what kind of results are you getting? I know how much money we've saved you because we would look at the bills. We would say, this is what you were charged, the insurance carrier. This is a legitimate amount for that geographic area. We recommend you only pay this. So if we reviewed $200,000 worth of medical records and only 50,000 were legit, we would say to them, only 50,000 is legit. They then give it to their attorneys who then negotiate those fees down. Okay. So I asked them, it happened to three different carriers. I said, Hey, I know how much money we saved you over the years. What kind of return are you getting? Are you able to negotiate down to that price? They're like, Oh, we don't really do anything with those reports. What? Like, are you flipping kidding me? Like we literally showed you. So they just pay you? And a lot of other big companies. I mean, we're a little guppy in the ocean. There's big companies. They pay big money to identify red flags, fraud, billing errors, all that kind of stuff. The ones I talked to, I wouldn't dare name the carriers. Let's just say they're famous names. They didn't even do anything with the reports we sent. Now, this person should know what they did with it. And that's when I'm like, all right, we're doing all this work. We're saving you money on the one side and you're not relaying those savings down to people. Oh, no, no more. No, that can't happen. And we are all one major illness away from bankruptcy. Oh, did I tell you about my friend? So I met this woman recently. Her husband had a traumatic brain injury. They were upper middle class. He has some type of accident. I don't know the details of the accident. He was in the ICU for seven days. Nasima, guess how much his medical bills were? It has to be no less than $200,000 ICU stay. Oh, girlfriend, I'm glad you're sitting down. It's $10,000 a day in the ICU. Oh, oh. Their bills were $3 million. Oh. 
they were upper middle class. That poor girl is now donating her plasma twice a week to make money. This is one of our patients' wives now donating plasma twice a week. She grows mealworms to sell to the, the neighbors. She also is raising chickens to sell eggs. Plus she has two part-time jobs at home because she is the full-time caretaker for her husband who's recovering from this TBI. Meanwhile, people here, CEOs of these places, they're treated like freaking royalty down here. Man, that makes me mad. And I don't know if I told you about the salary thing, but like we've got pharmaceutical company CEOs making 20, 30 million dollars a year. You put together a nurse's salary, a nurse practitioner salary, and a provider salary. These CEOs make in one day what these three make in an entire year combined. I'm like, this has got to stop. And then you have patients who are declaring bankruptcy. 62% of all personal bankruptcies are related to the inability to pay medical bills, which is why what you're teaching people is so important because you don't know if you're going to get sick. And if you need the healthcare system, you better have your finances in order so you can be able to afford it because it could totally change the trajectory of your life. Like this was an upper middle class family and now they have zero. That shouldn't happen. Not on our watch. Not when we have such amazing nurses who can make a difference, even if we're a quiet revolution. That's what I want. I want to create a grassroots movement where I empower patients to say, no, 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 you're not going to treat our nurses like that. And like patients need to know how their nurses are being treated, how their providers are being treated. Because if you guys all felt supported by us, Nazima, let's say you walked into a room and you knew the doctor was in there and they're saying something to the patient. How empowered would you feel if you heard that patient say to the doctor, don't talk to my nurse like that. You can't do that. Yes, man. So we've got to mirror that. It doesn't happen. This is what happens. We do all the work. We're in there. We're pushing five hours with them. You know, the ba- the doctor comes in for five minutes to catch the baby and they're like, oh, thank you, doctor. You're the best. <laughs> But I'd be like, girl, did you see me not in here with you all these hours? Okay, don't be thanking the doctor. You better thank me. Like, I'll call it out. But that's just me. But, you know, like, it's so many nurses that come out of those rooms crying because they're just like, oh, my God, like, I just did all this stuff. Do you know that that patient didn't even acknowledge me? Oh, Right. See, patients don't even know that. So that's where I'm trying to educate the patients what it's about. And listen, I don't know anything about the kind of car you drive. But meanwhile, you do all that work. They praise the doctor. You go home in your little Honda and he goes home in his Porsche. Why? Why is that allowed? Like, it's got to be like leveled. We're all supposed to be in this together. And we are all individual disciplines, providers, medical degree. People should not feel like they have more power than us. You can't do your job without us. I just feel like that's ingrained in their in the culture and how they're like go through medical school. And I'm just like, for what? Like you said, you cannot do your job without me. You can't function without me. So why are you so entitled? Exactly. Which is why what you're doing is so important because you're teaching nurses how to make sure you are financially stable so that you're never at that position where somebody can be demeaning to you or look down on you or tell you you have to do something you don't want to do. I mean, you just come to the bedside more empowered in general, and that's what needs to happen. But I love what you're saying about having the patients speak up too, because it's those smart patients that know if you treat your nurse right, you are going to get the best care possible. (laughs) Oh, trust me. I want to tell them, you know, when you go out to a fancy resort or something and you always tip the butler or you tip somebody so you get good care, give a nurse a tip 
in the form of a compliment or I appreciate you. If somebody said to me when I was like working my tail off, if they just said, I just want you to know, I appreciate you. Oh man, you want a back rub? I'll give you three a day. Like, <laughs> you know, like we would just bend over backwards because that's all we want to know. We want to know we're making a difference. And yeah, so patients need to know that. And that's the other thing, Nazima. I want to change the word patient. It's going to take a while. I still have to speak their language, but I think patients is such a disempowering word. It automatically puts you in a submissive position. And speaking of submission, I'm working on a new signature talk and I'm calling it warning. Disrobing could lead to disempowerment because as soon as your ass is hanging out in a hospital gown, do you really think you're in control? <laughs> you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to teach you. I think my butt looks cute in a hospital gown. I don't mind it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, some, we've seen some ugly butts, though, haven't we? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I love what you're doing. But I think that it has to start at the level of empowering patients, of empowering consumers of healthcare to know what their rights are. I love that you have kind of like flipped that working for the insurance companies and turned it to working for consumers because we need this. I was going to ask, actually, were you able to help that couple with their bill? No, I just met them. I just met her like oh. since you and I spoke before. So probably within the last two weeks. Yeah. But she was really smart and savvy. She really, because she said she used to work for a litigation attorney. So she knew that you have the right to negotiate. And like what you were saying, patients can come and say, hey, I have this hardship. So that's one of the things I teach people is that, you know, first of all, your time is valuable. Don't spend four hours on a phone talking to the billing department. Oh, and that's the other thing. Kill them with kindness. Because you know what? They're not the ones making the decisions. They're just trying to have a job also. And don't we all, didn't we learn this in nursing school that people don't sue people that they like? So be nice to people. So I tell people, get on, write a letter and send it certified return receipt mail because by law, they have to reply within 30 days. But if you do have to talk to somebody on the other end, realize that they are a patient also at some point in time. So be kind to them because then they'll want to help you more, you know? Yeah. So that's one of the things I teach people too. Yeah. And so, since you uh, switched over to helping consumers, how much money do you think you save people? Well, right now, my role is to teach people because I believe in, so I don't know what their results are. I have to start gathering that data. I have to find a way to capture that. But there's that parable that if you give a man a fish versus if you teach a man the fish, well, I, can we review your medical bills for you? Sure. Absolutely. If you have $3 million for the medical bills, we absolutely can do that. But I'm not in the room with you. So what I teach people, I've created a proprietary system. It's very simple and you could implement it today, but I call it the Dove system, D-O-V-E. And by implementing the Dove system, you will have financial peace of mind knowing that you are in control of your medical experience and also keeping your money in your pocket. So what it stands for is D is document. And I teach people, you have to begin documenting from the minute you make the appointment all the way through until the bill's been paid. Why? Because if you get a bill and you canceled your appointment within 24 hours and you see on your bill that they still billed you for that visit, that's a form of fraud. Billing for services not delivered. O stands for organizing. I teach people how to, how to have a very organized system where you can keep track of everything. And I'm so excited because I'm launching this next week with a webinar I'm doing, but I've created, it's not a digital platform. It's not an electronic health record. I've created Actually, it's a digital product, I should say that, but you own it. 
and you own all of your medical rec if you have 10 different doctors i teach you how to organize it all in one place that you have access to it on your phone your ipad and your dashboard you pay for it one time no membership no electronic health record you own it because i, I want to teach people yes to be consumers of healthcare, but to be guardians of your wellness journey and that's what the system set up for the v stands for verify you have to start reading your bills your medical bills and even nurses as patients when you're patients because one of the most common billing errors we saw was upcoding so if you see your provider for let's say a sore throat but when you see your bill you're billed for a pneumonia visit a higher acuity b more money c you now have pneumonia on your medical records or even if you see the NP, the doctor could still bill you that you saw them. Oh, no, I didn't. I saw the NP. So that's verifying. And then engage, I teach them what to do. Should you find a billing error? Should you have to declare financial hardship? Should, you know, what do you do if you, if you found no errors, but the prices were too high, all that kind of stuff. So Dove, document, organize, verify, and then engage. So. Yes, I love that system. It's just so empowering. And I just thinking about all the money that you save. It's not about the money, though. It's really about control. It's really taking that sense of control back because I feel like people walk into hospitals or people walk into doctor's offices and automatically they feel a sense of loss of control. I'm going to share another story, you know, like with before coronavirus was coronavirus, my daughter was hospitalized with RSV and she's seven, you know, seven-year-olds don't really get hospitalized for RSV. So I think she just had an early stage of like the coronavirus. <laughs> but anyway, it kind of came through our household, I think, before it became a pandemic, like in February. So my boyfriend was really sick. And so I was like, you look really bad. I'm going to take you to urgent care because he was having difficulty breathing. So I went to urgent care and I was like, should I come here or should I go across the street to the emergency room? It was at my hospital. I was like, or should I go across the street to the emergency room? Cause I really want to get him a chest X-ray because I really want to see what's going on. This is the nurse practitioner talking. Okay. I just want to see what's going on. Like if I if just thought he had a cold, I would have just kept him home. Cause it takes me a lot to take people to the hospital. They right? have to be bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so I'm like, okay, well, they're like, no, we can do that here. We'll do that here. We'll see him. And so I'm just like, okay, cool. So I don't like the kids to be there. So I was like, okay, let me take the kids to go, you know, go hang out with my coworkers, go say hi. They like to see the kids. So we went to labor and delivery and we was over there. And then he calls me. He was like, I'm done. And I'm like, really? You're done? I'm like, so what happened? And he was like, oh, she just gave me this. And I was like, what is this? It was a script for like guaifenesin, straight up mucinex. And so I went over there, I left them in the car and I went over there and I was like, I need to talk to her. And then the medical assistants were like, she's not going to talk to you because you're not the patient It's HIPAA. I said, okay, okay. So I'm going to bring my kids about this car. And then when I bring my kids about this car, it's really about to be some stuff. God, I love you. <laughs> So we all coming back up here. We all coming back up here and it's about to be something because you're going to play this HIPAA game with me. But I'm going to see what you're going to see. What's up? Okay. I am like bowing to you right now. <laughs> so <laughs> listen, I don't play. But that's the thing is that we all need advocates and a lot of people don't know their rights. And so we all go back into the exam room and I'm like, so run this whole thing back to me. Run what you thought was going on 
because I came here because he is really sick. I said, and I asked at the desk before we checked in, if he can, if you guys can do chest x-rays over here. And then she was like, oh, well, I offered him a chest x-ray, but he refused. And he was like, no, I didn't. She lied. And I said, so you're going to straight, you're going to sit up here in my face and lie. I said, that's what you're not going to do because I know you didn't offer it to him. He does not have no reason to lie. Oh my gosh. You sat up here and told him he didn't need a chest x-ray. What's your justification for that? And then she was kind of stuck and she was like, oh, well, we can't really do that here. I'm going to have to send him to the emergency room. We're going to, you're going to have to send you to the ER. And I was like, yeah. And then order him labs, order him this. And I just started running down what I needed, what she needed to order. Come to find out he had massive pneumonia. Oh my gosh. Yes. He had to be on a a albuterol treatment in the ER. (sighs) Holy cow. I'm just like, this pisses me off because people will continue to get away with that. Because they don't have advocates and because they don't know, like I'm sitting here mad at him for not speaking up, but I shouldn't really be mad at him because he's just a pay. He should know. He doesn't know. Patients don't know that they can speak up like that. Good for you. And the way you are his advocate, that's how we need to get with our patients as well. But more important, we need to empower the patients, which is back to the original thing. Could I do it for you? Sure. But I'm not in the office with you. Yes. Yes, that's the whole thing. I would have been like, girl, you better not be billing me for this urgent care visit. Exactly. I'll get the bill for the ER. You think I paid anything for that? (laughs) No. Because I was running all the way up. I called the house supervisor like, let me tell you something. And I'm going to need you to get me back to this ER because I'm not about to sit here all night after I just sat in the urgent care for two hours. Like you about to get us back there and we're about to do uh, and we was in and out of the ER. But I'm just like, come on. No. And people need to know that they can do that. They can do that. If you didn't do that, your boyfriend would have had guafenazine for pneumonia. (laughs) So how many patients are done one thing, you know, when they're not getting the care they need or they're getting in the same. There's a hospital in Florida who the, I forget how much the penalty is for, like $2 billion, something like that, because they were forcing, aggressively pressuring. So you think we've got issues as nurses too, some of our providers, they were aggressively pressuring the ER physicians to admit anybody over the age of 65, whether or not they needed it, just because they were on Medicare. Oh yeah, so they can get their Medicare. So they can get the Medicare. They're the highest reimbursers. You know this in healthcare administration, okay? You lose Medicare funding, you lose your hospital. So they try to get as many Medicare patients in the door with as many services as possible. Whether or not they need it. So you bring your grandmother there for a stubbed toe, chances are they're gonna try to admit her. So how it came out is that this one doctor went to discharge the patient hospital screen comes up and says, are you sure you went to da, da, da? Did you miss this? Blah, blah, blah. He overrides it, says, nope, patient to be discharged. Comes up again. Three times he had to say, no, I'm discharging, I'm discharging. Next day, the hospital CEOs come down, have a talking to him. He then blew the whistle and said, that's it. So then there was like five ER physicians who said, no, you can't do this. And so, but people don't speak up, you know? 
So good for you for doing that. And I hope everybody listening here knows, yes, do it for yourself, do it for your family, but then we got to start doing it for our patients. But I'm trying to teach people to do it to support you so that you're not the only ones doing it. Yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, I just hope the nurses out there feel empowered by this information because number one, you're going to be a patient too. Number two, I mean, like this is part of the education that we need to give our patients. I mean, we can't tell them specifically about their bill, but we can tell them about what we're doing and why. So they have the information part of our education. And then like, I feel like if you are looking (laughs) to transition out of nursing, I feel like you have an advocacy role, if not as a role with like what you're doing, empowering nurses, I mean, empowering patients to actually be active participants in their healthcare, or whether it's like being that advocate that's there, just like me, like, no, you're not about to do this. Like we have so much power to turn the tables on the system and to improve the system because it's for all of us. One day we're going to be a patient. Our kids are going to be a patient. Our family members are going to be a patient. So I feel like it's our obligation because yes, it is in our nursing code of ethics to serve and to be advocates. And this is how we do it. So, I, I mean, I love all your stories. I love everything that you're doing. And I just feel like you have a major impact on how we take care of our patients and just the world of healthcare in general. So I really appreciate you. I love that you aren't afraid to speak up. And I love that Philly part of you that's like, listen, listen, we got to help each other. And that's how I was raised to each one, teach one. We bring, we come up, we bring the next person up with us. And so. Right. And it's not just our patients. You know what? We need to build up our fellow nurses. You know, when you see a nurse just being ripped apart, you can stand up and say, excuse me, you're not going to talk to her like that. And here's another thing that I saw people, patients especially, and some nurses also, they like bow to the physician. Well, why not the NP? The NP has just as much education. If you want to go, oh, he has more education. No, not necessarily. So, but then also, why are we not treating and respecting each other as fellow nurses the way that we treat the surgeons? Why? Like, that's something that's always been a thorn in my side. Like, I don't care who you are. Do you not poop the same way I do? You do. So I'm going to give you respect, you give me respect. And I really think that if we empower our patients, empower each other, then the system's not going to have any choice but to change. Yes, that I love that. The system has to change. <laughs> and then get your finances in order so that you have more power. And when you were saying that, like uh, about how I started my entrepreneurial journey, again, nursing is the most trusted profession. In the meantime, while you're still working and you're building up your finances and all that kind of stuff, Why don't you begin even volunteering in your neighborhood? Like you said, the disparities with black pregnant women, teach black pregnant women how to have a voice. If you're an L&D nurse, teach them how to ask for what they need. Or I was a hospice nurse. Let me talk to you about hospice. Like we can start advocating grassroots and then find a way to get paid to do it. And then you leave the job and you give the job the proverbial middle finger because now I've created this beautiful thing where I'm advocating for patients, which that's what we are made for. Yes, yes, yes. I could talk to you all day long. (laughs) Yes, I'm just here for it. Preach, Angel. Yes.
And we could talk about this all day long, but Angel, let them know. I know you've done some talks and things about this and you have a lot of good resources out there. Where can people find all things Angel? I think the safest thing right now would be to just go to my website, which is overbrookconsultants.com because I actually have, I'm going to start doing live webinars on a weekly basis where I teach people. The title is Here's the saucy in me again, but it's called PAD, an acronym P-A-D, PAD your assets. <laughs> I'm teaching people how to protect, advocate for, and defend greatest two resources, your health and your wealth, you know, which is there's you and I, we should take our show on the road. But anyway, we need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. So, but yes, the website would be great. And starting the beginning of April, so when you get to the website, you could just sign up for my newsletter because starting the first week in April, I just want to send out a newsletter once a month. I don't even like it when I get weekly newsletters. So it's just going to be once a month and it's going to be a recap of things that I'm going to talk about on my YouTube channel, on a blog, on social media. But this way, it'll be one resource. And if you can attend one of the webinars, great. They're going to be 45 minutes. I want them live so I can answer any questions that people have. And uh, so, yeah, website's probably the best. I love it. <laughs> but I just know that people can learn so much from you. And if this, this is, it's just so inspirational on like what you can do as a nurse, like in watching you and the things that you've done, but also there's so many opportunities for you to improve the healthcare system. And so I hope you guys really take heed to this information, get inspired and just are encouraged to really speak up for your patients, speak up for yourself, speak up for other nurses and nurse practitioners, and just really lean into the power that you have as nurses. So thank you so much, Angel. This has been my absolute pleasure having you on. Fellow nurse, I could talk to you all day. And I would like to just say one other thing, because I love how you say about the power and all that and speak up because I was very intimidated. I was very insecure. Nurses out there speak up, even if your voice shakes. I think it was uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg that said that. Speak up, even if your voice shakes, because you are always in the right. If you are advocating for the welfare of your fellow nurse, yourself, or your patients. So because my voice shakes all the time. And I, somebody asked me that one time and I said, you know, what do you usually feel? I said, equally terrified and empowered at the same time. So a lot of times my voice shakes, or if I have a conversation with a CEO, oh, I'll cry in the bathroom afterwards. It's kind of like a trauma, <laughs> you know, you'll go answer the trauma, you're a super nurse. And then afterwards you crap yourself, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but speak, even if your voice shakes, because you can do it. You're the most powerful people in the world. We are. We are. We just have to lean into that power. Oh my God, I love it. Speak up even if your voice shakes. You know, we're always afraid to cry, especially as women, because we feel like it's disempowering it, or we feel like people don't take us seriously, but you still have to do it. You still have to do it. It's because of the passion. Like I used to do that too. Like if I was really passionate, like you would hear my voice shake or I might even cry. Like, but it's, it's you know, oh, I, I can cry and yell at the same time. Trust me. And I'll be like, don't look at these tears right now. Oh, Matt, you know, that kind of thing. So we can. (laughs) And that's because we are feeling beings having a human experience. Heck, I cry at commercials, but that's that does not lessen my power. And it doesn't lessen your power at all. Yes. Yes. Oh, honey, I loved this. Loved, loved. Thank you so much, Nasima. This was like the best ever. 
I love that Angel was raised with the same kind of mentality that I was of each one teach one. And if you learn something, you go back and you educate the next person. What's really dope is that she used her expertise in identifying medical fraud. And instead of helping the insurance companies who frankly weren't using the information for any good, she was able to turn it into a system to help each and every one of us keep money in our pockets and receive better, well-informed care. Lesson number one. As nurses, we have so much power to change the healthcare system, but we weren't ever taught how to use our voices. We weren't ever taught to stand up and fight for patients' rights, even though it's in our code of ethics. We don't know how to ask for our worth. We don't know how to say, no, that's not safe practice. We don't know how to do that. And then if we do, we have other people telling us, no, that is what you have to do. Oh no, you do have to do what I tell you. Well, why? Lesson number two. We all know that the healthcare system is broken, but what a damn shame it is to know how top heavy it is. We've got pharmaceutical company CEOs making 20, 30 million dollars a year. You put together a nurse's salary, a nurse practitioner's salary, and a provider's salary. Lesson number three. Angel was able to turn her knowledge and expertise into good to help consumers feel more empowered, therefore helping them improve their overall healthcare experience and optimally their health. I've created a proprietary system. It's very simple and you could implement it today, but I call it the Dove system, D-O-V-E. And by implementing the Dove system, you will have financial peace of mind knowing that you are in control of your medical experience and also keeping your money in your pocket. So what? Thank you for listening to my mommy's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Bye-bye.